2: Siegfried Sassoon was a complex man. He survived the horrors of fighting in the First World War and was decorated for his exceptional bravery. But he became a vocal critic of the government's continuation of that war when he returned from service. And that act in itself took extensive and exceptional amounts of bravery. Because it was 1917 and the war was still going. To be a dissenter at that time of national crisis was deemed almost to be treasonous. In the end, his poetry has come to define the horrors of war and they still resonate around the world today because he was inspired by the great suffering on the Western Front and he has become one of the world's leading war poets of all time. This is the Warfare Podcast. I'm your host, James Rogers. And to take us through the life of Sassoon and his wartime service, I am very excited to be joined by the legendary director Terence Davis and actor Jack Lowden. Now you'll know jack from his starring role in christopher nolan's 2017 epic dunkirk together terence and jack tell me about their new film on the life of Sassoon called benediction and some of the trials and tribulations that Sassoon went through during his service now i know you're going to find this one really quite fascinating so drop us a five-star review on apple Podcasts all now with one click on spotify but now here is jack and terence on the life of siegfried Sassoon. Terence, welcome and thank you for coming on the Warfare
3: Podcast. How are you doing today? Well, not so bad. It's a lovely weather, so that's nice to wake up to.
2: That is nice to wake up to, and, and never a guarantee. Are you, are you in the UK? Where are you in the world?
3: I'm on the northeast Essex coast.
2: So if you're going to get good weather in the UK, it's going to be there, isn't it?
3: Hopefully, yes, because we're so close to East Anglia, so we share their weather. <laughs> <laughs> you
2: do. And as a man from Peterborough, I can tell you that that weather can be choppy, to say the least, and pretty inconsistent. (laughs) (laughs) Now, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. Uh, Personally, I've been reading the work of of Siegfried Sassoon since I started my undergraduate degrees in the study of war and, and military history. So for me, he's always been a figure who commentates on war, someone who is directly opposed to war based upon his experience in the First World War. But perhaps we'll get to know more about the man that was Siegfried Sassoon today, and most certainly from your new film, Benediction. I certainly did as I was watching the film. I was taken in by the the slow-building personal connection I felt with Sassoon. And I feel like this is no mistake. It's a result of your nuanced and intimate appraisal of this complex man who survived the horrors of fighting the First World War. So I have to ask, why did you want to focus on Siegfried Sassoon in 2022. Why now?
3: Well, it took six years to get to the screens. There's quite a history in that sense. And Ben Roberts asked me to do it. And I'd never really known Sassoon, as well as Rupert Brooke and Wilfred Owen. And when I got into drama school, my teacher said, I think you should do a poem. Um, And I said, yeah, which one? It's Concert Interpretation by Siegfried Sassoon, which is a wonderful uh, comic poem about the first performance of the Rite of Spring in England. The previous year is, of course, an uproar in Paris. But in this country, they're much more polite and much more sanguine about it. And it's a wonderfully comic poem, and it's wonderful English. And that's what I did at my audition, and I got into drama school. I didn't really know him as well as the other two. It seems as though he's always the one that's left out because he survived. But that's, of course, what makes him even more fascinating. What was difficult was that he knew everybody, in the 20th century, anybody you could meet, he knew everybody. He went everywhere. It's an extraordinary film, full of life. And so what was difficult was to take out what I was interested in. And there was a lot of stuff that had to go. I couldn't even begin to read the diaries. I wasn't that interested in hunting because I don't think hunting's a sport. I was mad about cricket. I think cricket is almost as boring as Formula One. (laughs) That was to go out. But reading these three vast biographies of him, I thought, well, what do I respond to? I respond to the fact that he was gay and it was illegal then. And when I grew up in the 50s, it was too. So I, I knew what that felt like. Although he was very privileged, like his privileged class, they got away with it. If you're working class, you couldn't. The fact that, like a lot of men, who again? in those days, they got married. And he naturally took his wife that well, or his son. And then most spectacularly of all, he becomes a Catholic. Well, having been a Catholic, I think, why on earth did you want to become a Catholic, for God's sake? And so it was those things that I wanted to concentrate on. But also, because I also wanted to continue my exploration of time, that seems to me to be the most fascinating thing about cinema. You can move it back in time, and though the great influence there was T.S. Eliot's Four Quartets, because that's constantly moving in and out of time, and it's, it's about the nature of being and perceiving and the terror of all that. So, I wanted it to be like that that it should move in and out of his life because the war affected his entire life. But also, and this was a purely practical thing, we only had a small budget, about five million which in ordinary terms is a lot of money, but in terms of film, it's not. And you cannot recreate the conditions in the trenches. Even if you've got billions of dollars, you can't do it. As soon as you see that war footage, nothing can compete with it. It's powerful. It's immensely moving. And it's immensely beautiful. And when you think these men were carrying heavy equipment with cameras that you had to hand crank in our battle. I mean, the sheer power the And I knew I always wanted to use that as illustrating the war because it's the most powerful way of doing it.
2: Yes, and that footage would have cost, sadly, far more than $5 for the nation-states involved in the conflict to make at the time, and uh, more than that in terms of human life as well. And as a historian, it really did add to the emotion of the film to add in that footage, interspersed, of course, with that poetry. I also did like the way that you played with time all the way up until that final scene, and perhaps we can play with time ourselves here by taking us back to that time when Sassoon was in the trenches. Could you take us a little bit through Sassoon's wartime experience, or perhaps those points that you found most interesting? Why, for example, did he win his military cross?
3: Well, it was for bravery in the face of the enemy, but he didn't say this in real life. This is a line I gave to him, that really, bravery is just cowardice in extremis. And I think that's true to a certain extent. If you're that afraid and you're a leader of men, as he was, and his men loved him, that's what you do. But I'm sure he was equally as terrified as anybody else. But he conquered it, you know, at a cost to see your fellow human beings blown to pieces and barrages that lasted for 24 hours. And it really was hell on us. But I do think there was that element in him of, I'm not going to let the side down. You know, you, you don't do that. That's part, I suppose, of his privileged life. But he was very brave. I mean, he went on these raiding parties at night, you know. And obviously, when he got to trenches, he killed people. And you can't know what effect that's going to have on you at the time because you've got no choice. But what you do afterwards when you've got an entire lifetime to reflect on that, and the fact that you saw people being literally blown to pieces, you know, in the first hour of the psalm, like 29,000 people were killed or injured. I mean, you read the casualty list now, and they are still appalling, just appalling. Incomparable. They truly are. How could any general say, well, you walk across open field to a machine gun post? I mean, how can anyone do that? But Many of these generals haven't fought a war since Waterloo.
2: Yes. And they're not the ones having to face those mechanised killing machines on the lips of trenches as men sought to dig into the ground for safety. You say that Sassoon conquered his fears in battle itself, but do you think that ultimately the war broke Sassoon? Did it ever
3: leave him? I don't think it ever left him, no. I don't think it broke him. But I think it had a huge effect on him that was malign, you know, How do you come to terms with that? I mean, just how do you come to terms with it? There was a little documentary about the sinking of the Bismarck Mm. in the Second World War. Yes. And the people who had been on those British ships that sank it said after a while, this was murder because the ship was completely incapacitated. they, They could have stopped, but the order was, you know, you sink it. And a lot of those men who survived said it was actually like murder.
2: Yes, I've spoken with with many Second World War veterans over the years, and they often put it down to the laws of the sea. It's kill or be killed. But that horror, that sorrow that you feel for those men who are drowning in the sea has never left them. And, And the guilt remains there lingering, even though it's what they had to do for themselves to survive. And I suppose that's something that maybe Sassoon himself felt, although greatly objected to the horrors of war throughout his life, becoming a vehement peace activist, really.
3: Yes, but I think it damaged
2: him. Yes. How could it not? Of course. Do you think it affected his decision-making processes through his life? Did it contribute to the way his life was woven?
3: I don't know. Inevitably, your past life affects decisions that you're going to make. But I think there were decisions that were not forced on him, but accepted. Like, a lot of gay men got married. You know, Lynn Shaw yeah. got married to one of the Badley sisters, who was an actress. People did that, and it was considered not an awful thing to do. There was an element there of, you know, find a good woman and you'll be all right. But he, along with Hester Gatti, moved into that marriage, really. They were very naive. I mean, she said to him, and this is true, she actually said this in real life, when he said, I've only ever had affairs with men. I've spoken to Stephen Tennant. He's told me all I need to know, which is very, very naive because she couldn't have known what it was like any more than Siegfried could have known what it was like. So that when they have that dialogue, they don't actually propose to one another. They do it obliquely. If you ask me, would you accept? It's really oblique. I think it's much more interesting than saying, yes, I'll marry you.
2: Yes, it's almost an agreement. And I suppose you could say, and again, perhaps we're putting words and motives to Sassoon, I don't wish to do that, but seeking stability and solace in marriage and then in Catholicism itself, perhaps those were things that were just desperately seeking to bring comfort to a very uh, tumultuous mind affected by those horrors of war. And today in Europe, in Ukraine, we witness war once again. Do you think that Sassoon is a figure that is more relevant than ever for us to consider?
3: Yes, I think all great poets are. You know, even if we were living in peacetime, it tells you a lot about the nature of of war and how it affects human beings. I think it's obviously more relevant now because of Ukraine. You watch it in Shida's belief that this could be happening. And one man is inflicting this destruction and death on so many people. He's also a man who's actually trying to rehabilitate Stalin in Russia, which is really terrifying. I just think that the war affected him so profoundly, how could it not? That that changed something in his soul, really. I think really what he was looking for. And this penny dropped only after I'd made the film and finished it, is looking for redemption. And it's actually about redemption. And unfortunately, you can't find redemption in other people, in art or religion. If you can't find it within yourself, then you never find it. Perhaps he could never forgive himself for having survived.
2: That's a really poignant point and a question to finish on. Terence, thank you so much for your time. I have one final question to ask you. If there was one poem, one writing of Sassoon's that you could recommend to read to our listeners, what would it be? Where should our listeners head right now?
3: The poem to his mother. It's
2: wonderful.
4: I watch you on your constant way In selfless duty, long grown grey And to myself I say That I have lived my life to learn How lives like your unasking earn Orioles that guide and burn in hearts remembrance when the proud who snared the suffrage of the crowd are dumb and dusty browed for you live onward in my thought because you have not sought rewards that can be bought and so when i remember you i think of all the things rich and true
2: that i have reaped and wrought terence thank you so much for your time
3: my pleasure
1: Upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com upgrade.
0: Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. I'm Kate Lister, sex historian and author, and I am the host of Betwixt the Sheets The History of Sex, Scandal in Society, a new podcast from History Hit. Join me as I root around the topics which have been skipped over in your school history lessons. Everything from the history of swearing to pubic hair, satanic panic, cults, there is nothing off limits. We'll be bed-hopping around different time periods, from ancient civilizations to the Middle Ages to Renaissance and early modern, right up to now. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.
2: Hi Jack, welcome to the podcast and thanks for taking the time to talk about your new film, Benediction, and the life of Siegfried Sassoon. Pleasure to be here. Now I don't know quite where to start because you've portrayed iconic British figures before like the prominent MP Tony Benn and in war films such as Christopher Nolan's 1917 epic Dunkirk. And correct me if I'm wrong but I think you were even the voice of T Lawrence, Lawrence of Arabia in the game Battlefield 1. Is that
4: right? Yeah, I was also the face of I I did the whole mocap suit we did it for about three, four days. Yeah, that was Andy Serkis's company. Oh, wow. Engineering. Yeah, so I did the whole thing.
2: So you fully got into the mindset of Lawrence of Arabia. So with all of this past research for films that you know are to do with war, did any of that help you when it came to your portrayal of a young Sassoon? Or is he just too unique a figure for this to have helped?
1: Well,
4: I've played a lot of soldiers, but I've never played an officer. So that was a nice change. I got a promotion with a commission, so that was good.
2: It's about time.
4: It is about time, but I was really looking forward to showing off the fact that I knew how to tie putties. But, um, of course, I didn't wear them as an officer because we never actually see soon on the front. So it did. It helps a lot, you know, even how to salute, how to stand, all this kind of stuff. I've done it since I was about 19 in the first professional job I ever did was about the Black Watch Regiment. Oh wow. In Iraq, the play Black Watch. And there's a scene where they go through the entire history of the Black Watch and you change through all the costumes. It's incredible. So um yeah, sort of every other film I do has got a military background in it. Yeah.
2: (laughs) Well, as I was saying to Terence actually, when I was watching the film, I, I felt drawn in by your portrayal of a of a complex man who, despite his decorations and his reputation for bravery, found himself deeply opposed, conflicted about the war at a time when actually it was still dangerous to do so. He was having anti-war statements in around 1917 before the war had even come to an end. So when you were portraying this, when you were doing your research for this, what do you think in your mind turned Sassoon against the war? Of course, the horror of the war itself. There's almost nothing comparable to the First World War, but was there a specific moment, a straw that broke the camel's back? I think
4: one of the best pieces of material that I had was his war diaries, memoirs of an infantry officer, and they are more revealing than his poetry, but very still in a typically sort of, you know, the early 1900s British stiff upper lip kind of way. In his diary, there would be entries about people dying, friends of his dying, you know, you would get used to a character in his diaries for about six or seven months, and then he would very sharply just write, heard that he died. And the entries in the diaries, there'd be a few days missing after, or there'd be weeks after. And so I think he got hit really badly with some of the men that he met who died. And obviously people like Wilfred Owen, who he pretty much fell in love with, finding out that he died. So I think it was a culmination of all of that, but He also talked about, because he would routinely, as an officer, go on sort of these short leaves to all these cities in northern France, and he would sit at dinners with copious amounts of champagne, and he would refer to General X, General Y, Major Z. And it was there where he heard all of these conversations, and in his words, the incompetence of these people, the stupidity of them. I think that really had an effect on him in his stand. And the difficult thing of portraying him in this film was that he was a remarkably good soldier. He was bloody good. You know, he was called Mad Jack because of his bravery. And there was one sort of eyewitness account of him lying on his back in no man's land, laughing as shelling was taking place. He was so brave and a very good soldier, but you couldn't portray that in this film. So Terence used archive footage. So it was quite a tough challenge to get that across, that he was actually any good. But I think there's one or two comments made to him where it does.
2: Mad Jack. I didn't know that at all. So that's a little known part of Sassoon, who is perhaps when you read his poetry, you identify him more on an intellectual and emotional level. But actually, do you think that he he relished war in some ways? It's a hard thing to say, but when you look at his background, you know we know that he's got a massive passion for hunting. We know that he's a cricketer. He's got that camaraderie, that team spirit, and that incredibly privileged more upper class background that breeds you ready for the next war, do you think that that was something that was deeply ingrained in him as well, almost tears you apart a bit that you're you're so good at this, you're ready for war, you're bred for war, and he wasn't the youngest man to serve in the first world war; he was already in his mid to late twenties, I think, so is this something that you're set on for a life path, but then when you get there, it kind of tears you apart a bit that it's just carried out with such incompetence.
4: Yeah, I mean, one of the major things that's revealed in those diaries is his jealousy. And very early on in the war, he will routinely in his diaries mark when someone, a colleague, so to speak, got a DSO or a military cross or something. And you can see him really struggling with the fact that he wants one of these medals. But he knows that it's a horrible thing to want one. You know, he knows that there's a bit of shame. You know, it's sort of like actors. For some strange reason, it's a terrible taboo to say, I really want to win an Oscar, or yes, I think I could win an Oscar, or I deserve an Oscar. Nobody says it, (laughs) even though most of them think it. You know, And I think you see him dealing with that in the army. And like you said, yeah, he comes from a sporting gentleman background where comparisons are made all the time. And so you, you can really see him struggling in a sort of, you know, akin to the sort of social media anxiety that you have with people constantly comparing their lives to one another in terms of achievement, he certainly had that and very famously was given the military cross and then chucked it in the Mersey after his stand against the war. Yeah.
2: (laughs) So, I mean, that kind of sums the guy up, doesn't it? He's incredibly ambitious, uh, a soldier at heart, but when you see what happens to your friends and the men on the battlefield, and it's almost like he learns that little bit too much as well, because he's in that unique position where you're leading your men on the front lines and you're doing a bloody good job of it. But then you're going back and you're hearing probably the snide remarks and the incompetences of, of these lions led by donkeys, as we now know has gone down in history. And then I think that's such a poetic moment when he does throw that medal into the water. There's almost a scene for me in the film that sums him up a little bit. It's towards the end, it's almost the final scene, where it flicks between yourself as a young Sassoon and Peter Capaldi as an older Sassoon. And both of you have such a similar look on your face. I don't know if you you discussed this or you are able to synchronise it in some way, but you both look broken. And I was just wondering if in any way, shape or form, you think that the war ever left Sassoon in his life.
4: No, I think it was the defining thing in his life is what the film captures so brilliantly he had a severe guilt at being a survivor and again it's all wrapped up in his deep insecurity about his poetry you know he knew that Wilfred Owen was definitely the better poet but Wilfred Owen died in the war and almost that sort of romantic mythical sort of legacy that made Wilfred Owen look even more special so I think there was a guilt with him almost verging on a jealousy, that he didn't. He wasn't a casualty of the war. I mean, he was shot up quite a few times, ended up in the hospital loads, but he definitely felt guilty that he had survived. And I imagine there's probably was a lot of men like that who had a guilt that they had made it through. And I think it's a really cool, brilliant thing to explore in a film, almost the sort of guilt of having not died <laughs> and that a part of you does die it's inevitable that a part of you does die when you go to war. So it was quite an easy thing to imagine in terms of guilt. You know, we've all experienced guilt. We haven't all experienced war. But that was my way into him was his regret and guilt. Um, I, you know, like we've all got plenty regrets. So that was the only way I could get into him at all. Again, like the amount of soldiers that I've played, I've never been to war. So I have to find a way into these guys. And so on those deeply sort of personal levels, that's the way to do it.
2: So it's almost a, a moral trauma, Jack, that stuck with him for his decades. And he lived a long time, didn't he? And he lived a very full life. But I also wonder if that movement, that Meeting of people. I mean, it seems like he met every single famous or well known person there was of that period, and it's really hard just to keep track of his life. Do you think it's that keeping busy that he needed, that moving around that he needed just to keep his mind focused and clear of that trauma that had plagued him from the war?
4: Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, the great antidote to melancholy, depression, whatever you want to call it, is distraction, being busy. But I think there was probably some of that going on, but also just his constant grasping for acceptance and redemption you know he got married to a woman he became a catholic he was you know member of private clubs he was really sort of poking and prodding about trying to find some kind of acceptance but to do what he did when he did it and be the person that he was is remarkably brave before you even get to the fact that he went to war the fact that he stood up wrote that letter and risked Being shot, (laughs) essentially, is incredible, is absolutely incredible. And to read that declaration out against the war, uh, we did that the day before we started shooting. We did it in a recording booth with Terence. The poetry was one thing, but that, to read that, to know that that man had sat there and hummed and hawed about what the best way to say this, when he was implored by his friends not to do it's incredible. And he was a sort of relatively well-known poet by that point. He was well as sort of a public figure. He was even more brave.
2: It is mind-blowing bravery, isn't it? And just to think about that context, that time, and to be able to stand up against the establishment in that way is, well, it's, it's incredibly inspiring, perhaps even for, uh, for the times we live in today, Jack. Now, you mentioned that that letter was something which, which you identified with, and the way in which you got into the mindset of Sassoon was through his trauma, his anxiety that he felt. As you're going through his work, and I'm sure you must have read so many of his poems, was there, I actually asked Terence this same question. It's kind of our final question, actually. I suppose, you know, as you read through his work, is there one that identified with you the most? Is there one that you would recommend to our listeners to to pause this, to Google it, and to go and find it right now?
4: It's not a war poem, and he performs it in the film when he's at a dinner. When I'm amongst a blaze of lights, I think that's the name of it, but that's definitely the first line. And it's basically about being stood at a cocktail party and wanting to sort of punch everybody in the face, the sort of decadence and stupidity of these people that he swanned around amongst. And he says, when I'm amongst a blaze of lights with tawdry music and cigars and women dawdling through the lights and officers in cocktail bars... He says, he then goes on to say, I just start thinking of summer nights and elm trees nodding at the stars. And then he finishes the poem by saying, and then someone says, another drink and turns my living heart to stone. And to me, that sums him up so well, because my favourite thing about Sassoon is that he's a complete hypocrite. And they're always the best characters to play. They're also the best people to know in life, in my opinion. People who will change their mind at the drop of a hat are the most interesting people.
2: And frustrating.
4: Frustrating, but I think if you're completely immovable from the moment that you form an opinion to the moment that you leave this planet, um you're quite boring for a start. And also, I don't believe you. I don't know how you can have 100% conviction in any opinion. And that's what's exciting about life. And I think he he sums it up so well throughout all of his work because he did all of these things. He loved all of these people. He loved hanging about with Ivan Novello, T.E. Lawrence, swanning around but also hated it at the same time. So in a very sort of Morrissey kind of way, hated the sort of mundaneness of these people. So that poem is my favourite.
2: I've not heard Sassoon compared to Morrissey before, but I like it. I see how that works. That makes sense. And did we just get a little bit into your own mindset, Jack, when you're reciting that poem? Is that how you feel when we see you on on TV at these award ceremonies? Is that that the same thing?
4: Oh no, I love them. (laughs) I love them. I think they're a great laugh. Everybody shouting to one another, you know,
2: I, I think you're fantastic. You look fantastic.
4: I think there's always a time and a place to do that. I think, you know, everybody should get to experience something like that in their life. Having people shout things at you, whether they mean them or not, it's irrelevant. But <laughs> yeah, it's a wonderful thing.
2: As long as they're positive things, that's that's the most important thing. That's it's the key. key. Of yeah, a bit of a confidence boost. Well, Jack, thank you so much for your time. I urge our listeners to go and watch Benediction. And uh, Yeah. Well, I'm sure you're going to be doing more war films in the future and uh, you're always welcome on the podcast. Thank you. Thanks, man. Cheers, Jack. Have a good day. Thanks so much for listening. And if you want more, you can now subscribe to our brilliant Warfare Wednesdays newsletter via the link in the show notes. Get cutting-edge military histories delivered directly to your inbox each week, every week, for free. Enjoy.